and welcome to A Time to Thrill. This is your host, Amy Austin. It is November, and this month I am delighted to welcome to the podcast USA Today and New York Times bestselling author Cora Seaton. I met Cora, I think we talked about this in the podcast, maybe five or six years ago at um, a retreat that um, some authors I know put together. Um, we rented a beach house, we went to Oceanside, California, and we spent a weekend together talking about the business of books. Um, it's a big business and requires a lot of monitoring, especially from independent authors. But one of the things that I remain grateful to Cora about, and we do talk about this during the interview, is that Cora is a really sort of thoughtful person and she thinks a lot about business and how to approach her business and shares those approaches with the rest of us. It's one of the things I love about the romance community, that it's full of really sort of smart, brilliant women who share their approaches to business as well as personal life. And the two things that she shared during that particular retreat were about carving out time for family vacation and other things um, and not believing that we can all write 365 days a year. Some of us do, and many of us believe we can, despite you know young children and spouses and other life commitments. The other thing that she shared was, at that time she had hired, um, maybe not her first assistant, but I think her first full-time on-site assistant. And she shared her thought process about finding that assistant and some super amazing tips that I was able to use um, years or months later um, when hiring an assistant um, that was local here in Los Angeles. And I really appreciate her thoughtful approach to business and her willingness to share the results of her deep thinking about things that I might not necessarily be thinking about. Um, it's something I appreciate about Cora and something I appreciate about the community as well. So I really want you to enjoy this sort of um, far-ranging um, interview where we talk about a lot of things, but I just wanted to share Cora's insights with all of you because I think they're brilliant and I deeply, deeply appreciate them. Before we get to the interview, there is one thing that I would like to share. The two Nicole Long books that came out this year, Outcry Witness and Major Crimes, are now available everywhere. So you can download them in addition to Amazon at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google, and Kobo. I hope you appreciate the beginning of the Nicole Long series. I am almost done with book three. Um, I'm really enjoying her journey um, in the Cuyahoga County <laughs> courts, as well as the new head of major crimes. So without further ado, let's talk to Cora Seaton. Hi, and welcome to A Time to Thrill. This is your host, Amy Austin. This month, I am delighted to have a great conversation with Cora Seaton. Hi, Cora. Hi, Amy. How nice are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. How about you? Um, I am not in Canada, so maybe not as fantastic as you, but <laughs> we're, doing, 
Um, we do well. Um, I'm doing well. I was just thinking, you know, so I actually, this is so off topic, but I read it and um, I love advice blogs. Like I love them and I read them daily, but one of them is a work advice blog and 95% of the questions from Americans are, I want a different job, but I can't get good enough insurance to change jobs. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I find it slightly bleak um, because I think if we had health insurance, people could do so many more things and have great, greater creativity and greater entrepreneurship, which in theory we support, but they're tied to jobs. If they have any kind of chronic illness, regular medication, anything, um, it's pretty awful. Sorry. I don't know why I got on that sidetrack. Well, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's okay. And it's so true because, so I don't, I'm not sure if you know this about me or not, but I, um, I grew up in the U.S. I didn't move to Canada until my, I was in my thirties. Oh, I didn't um, know that. <laughs> Yes, and and that includes a stint of time where I was a single mother mm-hmm. um, with very low income. So I am incredibly experienced with the U.S. healthcare system <laughs> in all kinds of ways. Um, and coming up to Canada it was a huge shock, um, in a good way, just mm-hmm. uh, how incredibly different it was and what that opened up to us. So yeah, I, I totally understand. No, it does open up a lot. So I do have um, health insurance in Europe. And when I am there, I get the majority of my health care there. And it's very wow. comforting to just go and not have to, like when I went I had to take my son to the doctor and then I had 10 calls that I, were more than an hour about health insurance because they couldn't get the number to work right or something. And I was like, this yeah. is a lot of effort for like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> low effort for like just a physical. Um, but I'm, I soldier on. So, um, so I have a lot of questions for you, but the first um, thing I actually want to ask you about, so let me say this, and I think I did tell you this, I promised myself I would tell people these things and I swear to God, I told you this a couple of years ago, but you made a huge shift in my life. And actually I think about you very often, Um, Interesting, (laughs) because in, I want to say it was 2017 when we were at that beach house in Oceanside. I'm so bad with that kind of thing. And you did the presentation on time and time management. Mm -hmm. And before that, I was resolved to write 365 days a year, a certain word count, come hell or high water. I mean, you know, we could have an earthquake, you know, the mudslide, it could be on fire. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't care, but I got to make my word count. And so after you did that presentation, where you talked about the realistic number of days you could write versus the, you know, 365. It was the first time that I gave myself permission not to write on certain days. So up until then, so my son was born in 2010. So when we did that thing, it was, he was seven and he Mm -hmm. would get sick (laughs) and I would sit there. He's like, let's watch movies. You know, he's a little kid then. And I would sit there and be slightly very, I'm not sure, resentful of the fact that I could not complete my word count because he needed water, he needed, you know, fruit, he needed all these things. And after I left that and I did the little sheet that you had put together and it turned out that my realistically I could write 250 days a year and not 365, it was so much pressure off. So even last week he was sick and he was like, let's play Monopoly, which, you know, it's like 9,000 hours. And I was like, so what we're going to do is we're going to play Monopoly and I'm not going to think about the person I left in the page. And so it's been life-changing to dial down the resentment I had over anybody's interruptions into my day. 
I'm so glad. And I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here and, and thinking back and like, yeah, I had put in a category for sick days, hadn't I? Yes. For like extra days. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you had floating, it was like a day, you had floating holidays, yeah. sick yep. days, vacation, yep. weekends, and, you know, other things depending on people's family structure. And right. I was like, oh, so it's like a job, but I was working it like it was, I don't know, like an obsession. I don't have a good word for it, but it was like, I got to do it every day. You know, uh, honestly, um, it's funny. People people sort of throw around the term workaholism, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But there's an actual definition for it. And I think a lot of romance authors actually probably meet the definition. <laughs> and there's a point at which it goes beyond being a hard, dedicated worker. And essentially, all of us are... Um, we're startups, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are. And so just as, you know, we have this picture of um, computer programmers who work all night, you know, every Mm -hmm. night, you know, for weeks on end, um, especially, I mean, I think it's still happening now, but especially in the early days when we were all just tackling um, this indie publishing thing, we were all working like that. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure I really had enough conversations with other people about how they were balancing work and life at that point, because I know for myself, I wasn't. Um, no, so, I don't actually you know, know anybody who was balancing it. We were just like, write more books or do more marketing. All, yeah. I mean, there were years where I literally, you know, because I, I'm like, at first my office was, you know, in my bedroom, mm-hmm. I would wake up, my feet would hit the floor. And the first thing I did was cross the room and turn the computer on, mm-hmm. you know, and started working. And yeah, sure. There were interruptions during my day. I had four kids, so I, I got interrupted. Um, but at 11 o'clock at night at bedtime, the last thing I did was stand up from the computer and turn it off and go to bed. Right. And that went on for years. Mm-hmm. And I can remember this feeling sometimes that I had where I would, you know, because I would, at the end of the day, I'd kind of get into this tailspin of, you know, a few more words and then checking my emails and then looking on Facebook to see what other authors were doing. And I'd go around in circles for a while. Mm-hmm. And I would finally kind of put both hands on the desk and go, okay, I'm going to count down and then I'm going to stand up. <laughs> and it sounds so ridiculous, but it was that hard to stop working. And it took me quite a long time to realize and then, you know, kind of pass that realization on to other people. Um, that yeah, I was literally having a problem. Right? Like I had gone beyond just being excited about my work, which is what you know pulled me in in the first place. Right. Um, to getting addicted to working. But um, what made you? So you because okay. So when I when you came to us with that, you had a structure. You had worked out like I mean you had a worksheet. You're you're very good at worksheets. Um, yes. But you, had, <laughs> you had put together a worksheet where you had clearly thought through it. Maybe it was three or four pages. I don't remember that part. Yeah. But you had clearly yep. thought through the process of determining how much work was I don't say acceptable, but how much work you were going to do. And so, yeah, but how did you come to that? Because there's, there's a space between realization and mm-hmm. application and you obviously made that leap. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and having to check the date. So by 2017, yeah, I had gotten through the real startup phase of my startup, you know, <laughs> writing career and it was taking its toll. And so, um, I actually, my, my husband is a computer programmer and so he went through what we went through 20 years earlier. 
Right. Um, I, mean, I remember and, that era. <laughs> yeah. And it was very helpful um, to have had somebody I know go through this, you know, so as he was watching me do all of it, he could, he could see himself, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, 20 years earlier and he could look in and go, yeah, this is not heading in a good direction. And so he was, you know, throughout that whole period, he was trying to tell me, look, this isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to figure out something you know, <laughs> sooner or later that doesn't look like this. Um, and, and basically it became this crescendo. My family was letting me know in a big way, um, they needed me around more. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I needed to be around more and, and I was, you know, it was taking a toll on my health and everything like that. So mm-hmm. I think before I went to that retreat, I don't know how long I'd been really thinking about it, but there was a point, um, I do kind of do that where, when I'm really confronted with a problem, It might take me a while, but after a while, I will have this point where I sit down and I figure it out almost mathematically, no matter what the problem is. (laughs) Um, And, and that was one of those things. So I finally sat there. I, it took me a lot of time wrestling with that paperwork Mm -hmm. myself before I came up with anything like um, a schedule that I could sort of kind of stick to. Mm-hmm. And I think actually it was after I had done that with um, with you guys and with other people and kept wrestling, you know, with that myself because, you know, I kept <laughs> wrestling with those numbers and like I wanted to increase the the number of books I was putting out because I don't know if you remember that period, but everybody was right. Yes, it was like yes. <laughs> revving up. Yes. Yeah, um, and I was feeling like. I'd been running this race and all of a sudden these people came out of nowhere and like, you know, whipped past me. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I was, you know, <laughs> trying to pick up the speed, but I couldn't. And, um, and, you know, when I did that exercise, I think it kept coming down to like three books a year for me, mm-hmm. which I just, I, I really struggled to wrap my head around. Um, it wasn't enough. So I I had been writing five books a year and three did not seem like it was good enough, Mm -hmm. but I knew in my soul that I just, I couldn't do five anymore. Um, And yeah, the truth was that's what I was writing, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) yeah, there was sort of a cause and effect going or, you know, on where um, I had to do a lot of grappling in my head about, yes, this is actually what's happening. This is actually what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But there really, it took quite a while for me to be okay with that. So I don't know if you had any of that, but um, Um, okay, it was a struggle. I'm going to say like even yesterday, so I'm in the middle of a book. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. I have a point at every book where the road runs out. So at the beginning, everything's really exciting. And between 20 and 30,000 words, I run out of road. And then I think, oh, right. damn, you know, I got to finish this book <laughs> and I don't have, I don't know what's going to happen next. And then I futz around and knit and do other things. But, um, but I had to go back. So I have a spreadsheet of all the books I've written and when they were released. And I looked and I thought, well, if you released two this year and you released um, two in twenty well, no, one in 2020, because that was, but two in 2019 and like three in 2018, like, is that, why is that not enough? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, but I have to have that conversation with myself every day because it feels as if, and I, 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 it's very hard to explain to people. 
it feels as if I don't do anything all day. Mm. Um, and it's hard, but I, I, so, you know, Marina Maddox and a couple mm. months ago, she was like, well, I think you should buy all your books. I mean, the get paper copies and put them on the shelf so that you can, you have a sense of what has been accomplished. Yes. Um, and that helps. So they're on the living room mantle. So I have to see them, you know, regularly when I walk through, um, you know, above the fireplace. But it's, if you ask me, people, like people ask me, like, what do you do every day? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I cooked. I knit. You know, I fed the kid. You know, I went to the gym. But it, the writing feels a little ephemeral. So I'm trying very hard to grasp onto the fact that books actually have been created and yeah. audiobooks have been created. And I get emails daily from readers, so it's not as if they're not in the world, but it's there's a disconnect, and so I'm working on that. And so even right now, I've had to slow down on a book I'm writing now because my son started middle school, just stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. And wrestling with that guilt, last night I was like, well, maybe the book won't be done until the end of December. And I thought, is that okay? And then, of course, a reader's like, when is it coming? You know, you get that next yes. email. Oh my gosh. And she yeah. was, she's like, so... <laughs> is that it for 2022? <laughs> I, was like, I, I, I was like, um, yes, I said, so I'm thinking it'll come out in, you know, 2023, maybe January, but don't say anything to other readers because I don't know. And there's no pre-order up or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went back and I was like, but the book is not done. I mean, it's, you know, it's not done. I would, what, what'll right. happen? So the answer is no. I'm still grappling with it, but I try to have the conversation with myself that in the last 10 years or so, because I started publishing in 2012, I've written 26 books. So it's not nothing. And and it's no. not the people who've written 100. I'm, you know, whatever. We're not going to discuss yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But it's fine. It is fine. It is It is fine. It is a fine accomplishment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a wrestling match. And so look, to your credit, I have gotten rid of the guilt. So I don't have the guilt Good. around the daily. If I don't write today, then I don't know. My life has lost meaning. I don't have a good word for it, Ex- a way to explain it. So I've moved mm-hmm. past that. But still, there's, it's like a monkey on your back, you know? It's like, well, how far did I get? Well, it's only I've only written so many words, but the book has to be 70,000. And I'm not there yet. It's 38% done. It's 42% done, you know? Yes. Um, and I do have a daily counter, you know, I like to count everything. So I count steps, I count exercise, I count word count, like everything I count. Um, so every day I look at it and it has a percentage and how many days are left and how many words I have to write. And that's probably a thing I should let go of. I'm not ready yet. So I'm still grappling with it, but it's better. And you made it a lot better. I mean, it's just, Good. it's so great to be able to sit with my child without, without the guilt. Um, absolutely without that's crucial and you know he's 12 he'll be 18 one day and then he'll be out and then I'll have more time um (laughs) but but I I spend more time with him and especially when he was little like when he was two or three he used to sit next to me and mimic typing oh and I thought oh do I type that much like I don't you know in my head it doesn't (laughs) seem like that much but sometimes he would have a hard time going to sleep and I was like just sit next to me and the white noise of the typing he'd fall asleep Right. Or he would look at me when he was three or four. He looked at me. He goes, "Oh, I'm in the middle of something," and he would just turn away and like Im- imitate me typing. And I was like, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "Well, you always say he'll ask for something. Who knows?" And I'll be like, "I'm in the middle of something. I'll be right back." And in my head, it's two minutes, but he said to me, "It's like ten or 15. 
Oh gosh. Yes. And so, and so now, even now, like yesterday he said, Oh, I want, I don't know what he wanted to do. He wanted to cuddle. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to look at this email. I'm just going to close the computer because if I don't, obviously it'll be 10 or 15 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. and time will have passed. So I make an effort to prioritize his needs as a child, you know, and, but without the guilt and without the resentment. And that's the part, that's the best part, you know, whether or not I feel like I do enough work is a different conversation, but at least as, as between me and the child, I've let go of any of the feelings I had that he was keeping me away from my writing. I think that's incredible. Yeah. That's a a great way to turn it around. Mm -hmm. But, but that's it. It hasn't gone any farther than that. Well, (laughs) yeah. I like the self-actualization of the rest of it, but I don't, not today, not today. Yes. Not today. Um, so, but, but one of the things that you seem to do well from my perspective is self-care because there was a time, okay, I'm not good at time. I will say this. I write everything down, but I'm not so good at time. But there was a mm-hmm. time that you gave up Facebook for, I feel like it was a year. Right. And oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if it was 2019, 2020, 20, that, that runs together. Yeah. So I'm not going to be good with that. But mm-hmm. What was it that made you recognize that stepping back from social media in that sense, in in terms of like the personal interaction sense, was going to be good for your mental health? Mm. It really did come down to my mental health. Um, I I went through a very (laughs) interesting period where, you know, when I started writing, um, it was really fun because uh, I got to it late, right? I got to it in my 40s. Mm-hmm. And it was what I was always meant to do. Mm-hmm. And so I had had, you know, 20 years of being an adult doing work that was fine, but it wasn't, it wasn't my calling. Right. <laughs> um, and so when I finally got to, you know, this work, it was, it was great. Um, I kind of stumbled into romance. That wasn't initially what I had planned to do, but um, I had been an avid romance reader when I was younger and I just, I had a lot of fun with it. And I chose the um, small town kind of Western um, uh, genre to write in because I had done quite a bit of small town living um, Mm -hmm. in between big city living uh, or, you know, sort of kind of in my adult life. And it just it felt comfortable. It felt like what I could write. Um, And I felt really comfortable doing it, was having a great time. And then politics uh, came into play Mm -hmm. and I realized that there was quite a large disconnect between me and a lot of people in my audience Um, and I don't know how you know how other authors felt this you know I'm sure there were sort of some genres that you know maybe lent itself to that more than others but Mm -hmm. um, it got really really difficult and my feed was full of stuff that was um, frankly horrific to me. Okay. And it was incredibly painful because some of the people who were passing on stuff were readers I recognized, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't recognize everybody in my feed because right. there's so many people. Um, but these were names that I recognized. These were people who had supported me that I'd, you know, interacted with and they were turning out to be people who I didn't recognize, um, Mm -hmm. and were, 
And in a lot of cases, it was, <laughs> I don't think people always realize, right, you know, that when they like somebody else's post, uh, it shows up for other people that's, to see, yes, that's right? right. Yes, yes. And so in many cases, it wasn't that my readers were posting offensive stuff, but they were liking Uncle Billy Bob's post, you know, mm -hmm. about something that was offensive, um, which was just as bad to me. And, um, and I was having days where I was going on um, just a tear of blocking people. Oh, because yeah. there are lines that I just don't let people around me cross. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was <laughs> kind of a point where it would get to the point in my day where Facebook stopped showing me anything. Like <laughs> they, they would just start showing me like just random stuff. They, they stopped showing me anything from people who were actually my friends, you know, okay. quote unquote friends. Right. Um, and, and it was just happening too much. I was getting off of Facebook feeling so angry all the time. It's really hard to write romance when you're angry, <laughs> I have found. <laughs> and I was just kind of this, this ball of fury for a mm -hmm. while. And so I finally decided that, yeah, if I was going to save my career, <laughs> one of these two things had to go. And um, and it was also a good experiment to do to see like how important was that, you know, mm -hmm. for um, for my career and for my numbers. Um, and, and honestly, the other part was uh, kind of a moral issue. I felt like, um, I felt like Facebook was profiting off of an election mm -hmm. in a way that was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all of those things came together and I just decided, okay, I'm just shutting it down. And I did, it was, it was a really good thing for me that I did that. Um, I did for sure see some of my sales go down and um, probably a combination of those two things, you know, that uh, I was angering my audience. So it, it, I have to say it wasn't only just going one way, right? Mm -hmm. I was um, uh, I was doing the unprofessional thing of lashing out mm -hmm. and, um, and reposting very, um, how can I say this, very broadly... Uh, like, I don't think I reposted anything that was offensive, you know, in what it said, but mm -hmm. it was offensive to some of my readers who believed the exact opposite of what, okay. you know, it was touting. Right. And so I was definitely getting into political wars on my professional Facebook page. Oh, okay. um, right. It, and mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's not what we're all here for. And a lot of people who really enjoyed my books and probably even agreed with me were saying, look, this isn't why I, I'm coming to mm -hmm. see you. This right. isn't why I, I'm coming on Facebook. Please stop. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I put myself in the corner. I, I took a time out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I needed to. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's interesting is that over time, um, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. I think I've blocked enough people over time um, and made myself and my, um, my uh, position clear enough that I am no longer attracting readers who don't share my vision in a way, but I, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I, don't, I know. That's, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's, that's a divide. That's so interesting. I didn't, I don't, I guess I must, um, how can I say this? I must interact with social media in a different way. Well, yeah, I must, I must do it in a different way because I did not. So the thing you, the experience that you're describing is an experience that a lot of people have described. Um, like mm -hmm. I guess starting in, oh my God, what year are we up to? 2016. Yeah. And I did not 
have those experiences, but I had previously blocked. So I mean, this is horrible to admit. So my social media, maybe, maybe I see 10 to 20 people's posts, um, but I had muted a lot of people well in the beginning, but for different reasons. Um, you know, so when I was younger, um, you know, fashion magazines were a thing in the 80s. And I sort of had to step back from reading them because they made me feel bad about myself because I wasn't thin enough or I didn't have enough great clothes or whatever the thing was. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt better for not reading them. I felt better for not watching certain kinds of TV shows. Um, I got rid of cable. There was a lot of things I did. But it, it, it was the same with social media. But um, so I eliminated people who didn't agree with my politics. I just muted them or whatever you do where you're not friends with them, but you don't ever see them. Right. And, but I did it also with some authors because, well, I don't have them anymore, but in the beginning of my publishing journey, I had those experiences where somebody's like, I just signed with, I don't know, let's say whatever, Harper Collins and, you know, for $9 billion. Right. And I'm like, yes. oh, well, I just got 5,000. You know what I mean? So, um, right. <laughs> So I had to block a lot of people just for my mental health because, you know, comparison is a thief of joy that I needed to like step back from that. So I did not encounter what you did, but did you miss it? Or, I mean, I know it probably made a a difference in your sales and I could see that. It never made a difference for me because I don't interact that much with people, which is to my detriment, whatever, that's a different conversation. But did you miss social media? Because there's a certain, I don't want to call it addiction, but we get used to having that injection of, I don't know, attention, distraction, whatever in our day. And how was it without that? Yeah, that's an, uh, that's an interesting question because, um, so yeah, I think that, I think the big difference that got made with my sales was actually turning off the Facebook ads. Oh, um, okay. And so I did. I did that as well. I w- I was just like, you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not allowing my money to go mm-hmm. into this election. Was right. my my point of view. Okay. Um, and so, did I miss it? Yes. It, it was like just, you know, just about anything else that you cut out of your life. And and it's interesting what you're saying about earlier on. So it sounds like you kind of came to some of these conclusions far earlier than the rest of us you know, got to them. Um, well, I just don't like to been, feel bad. And then you're like, well, feel yeah. Bad? And then you go, okay, well, let me get rid of that thing. I, I think part of this discovery um, in this whole process uh, was realizing maybe how much I had gotten addictive, addicted to feeling bad, right? Like oh. there's a hit that you get on that too, because I wasn't only on Facebook, right? I was on Twitter. I was watching the news every day, you know, several times a day and, and you know, a news station that was really hyping all of this stuff up. Right. Okay. Um, and so this was one step in a whole bunch of steps that I took to kind of de-drama my life mm-hmm. um, and to get all of this noise out of it. So there, yes, I definitely was afraid of, you know, FOMO, right? I was afraid of right. this kind of stuff. <laughs> Right. Um, and I was afraid that nobody would be there when I came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that did not turn out to be true, actually. The minute mm-hmm. I turned it back on, everybody came back. Right. Um, <laughs> that was really interesting. Um, and they were happy to see me, and it was all fun and new again for a while. Um, right. But yeah, I had not realized how often I felt bad when on different kinds of social media. 
um, until I had that experience. And it's something that I flickered in and out of. Um, it, it took me until I think this year, I finally got really uh, drastic about it and turned off. Um, oh, I don't know, maybe it was earlier. I, at some point I turned off Twitter and that was actually the hardest one for me because I, um, I love to like sort of, I call it Hoover up uh, information. <laughs> and there's right. a lot of information on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I loved like following lawyers to find out what was happening inside the courtroom and, you know, all of that kind of thing. Um, oh, wow. Getting the information from the source. I followed okay. doctors, you know, during the pandemic mm-hmm. who were working right. on the, you know, the vaccines and stuff like that. It was all great. Um, but it was too much. And I couldn't, I, I found it difficult to step away from. So I finally shut it off. Same thing with TikTok. Oh my gosh, TikTok was so much fun for a while. And then I just had to shut it off. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I am more and more having this kind of pure lifestyle, I guess, where it's, uh, I am trying to make my life happen actually where I'm living. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's harder than it looks, I think, um, these days, because so much of our lives are online. online. So can I ask you this? Because I found what I have found is that I do get peer pressure from people about not being active on Facebook. Um, I was never active on Twitter. And when we had the last president in the US, I decided he could have Twitter. Um, And I was like, boom, you can have it. And I'm out. And, And also, I can never keep up with move too fast for me. But what did you do you not? So this happens to me actually all the time. People will say to me, so this summer, I I generally try to be very good about posting Instagram, and I do have friends, because um, I travel a lot, who are like, oh, what I know where you are when you post pictures, and it's great to keep up with you that way. But over the mm-hmm. summer, I had something not great happen, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm done. Like, people don't need this, like, daily interaction in my life. But I did get a lot of, I don't know, DMs, I don't know, something, messages, texts from people who are like, well, what are you doing? You're not posting. Are you okay? And I'm like, well, A, I'm not really that okay right now. But um, B, I don't, it's not that interesting to me. I don't want to do it. And also um, I've had friends who've said to me, okay, did you see my post on Facebook? And I think, God, no, I haven't been on there in two weeks, but whatever. And they're like, well, I'd really appreciate it if you commented or liked it. And they feel slighted when I don't interact mm. with them on social media. And these are people I'm literally sitting and talking to in real life which I wow. have a lot of thoughts about. I'm like, we're here having lunch, dinner, breakfast, we're, or we're texting or, you know, I'm talking to you regularly and I don't understand why the social media part is important. I'm still trying to figure that out, to be frank. But I don't, um, I don't like that pressure. And sometimes it really does pressure me. Like I'm planning to travel and I was like, what if I don't post pictures of this new trip I'm on? You know, how is it going to be? And then I'll see people at this party and they'll be like, well, you never posted pictures. I didn't know you were away or whatever. Um, so I do feel some guilt about it, but mm-hmm. I don't, I try not to bow to the peer pressure, but there is, there is a lot of peer pressure to be on social media. And in the beginning, there was a lot, to be honest, with my family, who's like, you don't post pictures of your kid. And I'm like, we're not, I'm not, nope. <laughs> and I'm never going to be that person. So you're SOL, yeah. but I'm obviously I'll send you school pictures and you have my phone number and you have my email. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like we're not out of, we're not in touch. Um, especially with family members, but did you find people were disappointed about your in lack of interaction, not being there? Yes and no. I like, I think, um, I think the people in my group were 
Mm-hmm. Um, because that has, you know, it's become a place and it is, it's a little bit taken on a life of its own. Now it took a long time to get there. It was right. really driven by me for a long time. Um, but people liked it. Um, and, and so there was a little thing that was missing from their days, but you know, the world didn't end, right? Right. <laughs> like, I know. It was okay. Um, and I find, I feel like, um, yeah, I'm trying to like parse this out as I'm listening to you. I think I've always been in a way of a private person. Mm-hmm. So, and people are kind of, and I have to also say, I've always been lousy at taking photographs. So my family kind of gave up on me as far as the photographs were concerned a long time ago. <laughs> and I do look at other families, you know, members pose um, and just and go, oh, look, they've got yet another lovely, you know, photo of their family. And I never get it together. And I never, my, my photographs just don't turn out very well. So um, I kind of let other people in the family take that role. Mm-hmm. So that's been okay. Um, yeah, I think I, like, I know I'm really going against the grain. And I know from my, my daughter is 21. Um, and I have also done the thing where I don't like right when, you know, when all of this stuff was beginning in the early days, I used to post some pictures and stuff of my kids. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of asked me to stop. Mm-hmm. And I stopped. Right. And I really haven't ever since. Um, and so, you know, but my my daughter definitely has the experience that you're having where she wants to cool it. Mm-hmm. on the social media it you know it just takes time and it, does. it, you know, it so, makes so her feel time. bad too yeah. right but if she doesn't if she doesn't post you know if she doesn't like a friend's post quickly mm-hmm. or whatever it's a thing and so I think this is something that you know definitely as a society we're going to be working out you know on and on right. um but for me I don't know I just I am determined, I think is the correct word to create this, um, this life that is actually happening in the place where I live. And, and so one of the things that's been going on for me is I keep moving. Mm-hmm. So I know just when I get, right. I just want to get settled into a place just when I finally like develop a community, um, we pick up and we move and not just little moves. We go like a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, moved to the place where I'm at about six and a half years ago. Um, it takes me a long time to set my roots down in a new place. Mm-hmm. And the rise of social media has just made it worse for me. It, everything takes longer um, oh, right. yes. because so much is happening online. And, mm-hmm. and this is the thing too, this is the really tricky part, right? Is because of being an author, because of all of these connections I've made, I've met all of these amazing women mm-hmm. Um, who share my interests, who share my drive, who share my business acumen and all of those kinds of things. Um, and they're fantastic. And they, you know, are spread around the world. Right. So I have these great conversations online or on the phone. And then I put the phone down. And there isn't anybody you know, like that where I'm at, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, and then after a while I find one or two, Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, so it's, it's hard for real life to even compete with what's online. Um, if that makes sense. So there's just this part of me that's like, okay, a, 
um, you know, just the the sedentariness of this job, mm-hmm. like prior to um, to starting working on on this, I was an incredibly active person, and I was strong and I'm fit, and I could you know climb mountains and stuff like that. Right. Um, my health isn't like that anymore. And so that's another part of me, you know, just being absolutely determined to take my life off of online mm-hmm. and bring it back into the physical world because that's where my body is. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. I need right. friends who will go on hikes with me. I need, right. you know, I need right. activity. So, yeah, I'm, I'm also just acutely aware of, uh, when I'm online, somebody's making money off of my time I know. and my yeah. eyes. Right. And um, and those are really valuable commodities. So I want to, yeah, I just want to put more thought into how I spend it. But yeah, it is hard. It is hard when I know that there are other people who are <clears throat> online and, you know, chatting with each other all of the time. I, I miss those early days, you know, when it was mm-hmm. this constant sort of stream of chatter with other authors, you know, all of us striving <laughs> together, <Yes>. you know, <laughs> that yeah. was really fun. <laughs> no, it, it was, um, you know, I know what you mean, because I, I used to say, this is well before the pandemic, but I used people were like, what is it like being home all day? And I'm like, oh my God, but everybody else I know is also home all day. And so yeah. we're procrastinating together. So um, there's a lot of chatter, like, especially in the in the early publishing days, I'd get up in the morning and the first thing we would do is all of us, you know, many different places far flung, talk about, uh, well, whatever, our editor, this publisher, whatever the thing is. Um, and that was incredibly fun. It felt incredibly close to be on this starting, at least in my case, starting this journey with all of these people um, mm-hmm. together. And we were incredibly enthusiastic about it. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah. That was my experience too, you know, slightly different, but uh, yeah, there was a group of us. We were all going for it. We were chatting daily. Um, Yeah. That was fun. So I will ask you this because actually I don't know this about you. I guess I've never asked you. So what is your publishing journey? I, when I met you, you had become incredibly successful. And so I met you at like at that point and I, you know, Mm -hmm. and I never, I don't know about the beginning. Yeah, it was, you know, it's one of those things where you go, well, where do you start? (laughs) So there was definitely this, um, this pre part of the journey where I was trying to be a young adult author. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had just been spent years reading young adult novels out loud (laughs) to various children and loved them and, and was really immersed. Um, so I wrote a few of those first and I, uh, tried the traditional published route and wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and then meanwhile, during that period, the internet was becoming more and more of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was getting more social. And I started joining some forums for authors, um, had varying experiences on those. And somehow, somehow along the way, fell into, um, I think it was, it was Romance Divas. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And that was a pretty exciting place to be at that point. Um, and, and so there was a, a point where I finally was like, okay, enough years have gone by and I haven't gotten published and I need something to happen or I'm going to give up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I you know, looked at it from a business point of view and I said to myself, I think that there are far more romance novels being published per year than there are young adult novels mm-hmm. being published per year. 
Um, and, you know, I have this background in reading them. Maybe I could write one of those. And I, I think at the time I had, you know, I'd been seeing other people um, getting published with e-presses. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, that might be the way to go to get something and have an experience, you know, getting published, working with an editor, that kind of thing. Right. And so I did uh, NaNoWriMo that year, and I want to say that was 2010, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I wrote a novella and sent it to a couple of places, got it picked up by um, White White Rose Press, um, and and had that experience, you know, they published the novella, they listened to me about what I wanted on the cover, and it was all really nice, and I liked it. Um, and then the day the book came out, I saw it up for sale with all of these other romances around it. And I instantly knew it wasn't going to sell. Oh. Because even though they had made this beautiful cover for me, mm-hmm. it didn't look like the covers that oh, were selling. I had a very similar experience. I got exactly what I well, I got exactly what I asked for, and that yes. was not what I needed. <laughs> it was not what I needed, and I realized it instantly. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing to be done, right? <laughs> right, mm-hmm. and I just thought I could do better. Mm-hmm. I could do this better. I need to be able to change something. When there's a mistake, I need to be able to change it. Um, and people had been, you know, rumbling about self-publishing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was also busy at that point doing audiobook production. Um, and so that was kind of a, a thing that was happening as well. Um, and As a producer or as a narrator? Yeah, well, a little bit of both. I opened a company um, that was producing uh, romance um, audiobooks. And wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know that's a, that's a whole other side. That was a real learning experience. Um, and so I, I learned quite a bit about business with that. I learned quite a bit about working with other people. I learned about my comfort or lack thereof of being a manager and managing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just learned about, um, well, percentages, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, there was one game in town and that was Audible and they paid you a certain percentage and it was really hard to pay everybody else out of that percentage. Right. Um, and that was kind of a constant thing. And so um, kind of what happened, uh, several things happened in a row. One was that I had been fighting with Audible about raising that percentage and I had been getting it raised bit by bit by bit over mm-hmm. you know the time. Um, and then I had just won this epic battle with them. <laughs> I was so excited. I think I got 40% finally. It, it started out at 8%. We had been getting 8% to share with everybody who worked on the book, oh, author, wow. narrator, right. audio editor, everybody. Mm-hmm. So I got it up to 40%. And I just, I was so thrilled with that victory. And then literally, literally, like a month and a half later, they launched ACX. Oh, and they were like 56 and I to 80, weren't they back then? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, ACX allowed authors to connect directly with narrators and get their books done without a middleman like me. Right. Um, but that wasn't the killer because, you know, not everybody wanted to do that. Right. Uh, the killer was, I don't know if you remember, but they had a sliding scale on that that mm. went up to 90%. I know the one revenue who, share. who got a lot of those, but yes. Yeah, at the beginning. Yes. 
And I looked at that the day they put it out and I just went, what? (laughs) I called up my rep and I said, okay, I have to take back all of the, uh, the um the uh, what do you call it the rights I right. I have to give back all of the rights to my authors right and he was like but what do you what do you mean you've got them you've got them tied up for seven years you right. don't have to give them anything <laughs> right. and I was just like are you kidding like I am not going to hold somebody to a seven year contract mm-hmm. getting their share of forty percent when they can turn around tomorrow and get ninety percent right, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. and he he could not understand it but I I. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I gave everybody their rights back, and I put the. Um, it took a little while, but I put the company to bed over time. You know, there were, yeah, there was a lot of, yes, I've going back and forth and figuring it all out. Yeah, yeah, but so that took us. Somehow, we got into 2012, and by December of 2012, it was shutting down, mm-hmm. um, and I was having to look around and go okay what next and Mm -hmm. honestly I was fried (laughs) with Mm -hmm. all of it um and I just thought I just want a paycheck so I'm gonna go and uh go back to school and become an accountant um and (laughs) but but a couple of things happened one was my husband was like look um you you know you earned some money you you saved some money there we could get by for about a year mm-hmm. um, without you making any more money. You have always wanted to write. Why don't you take this shot, you know, right. and and try writing full time? And then I also met a friend of the family who was an accountant um, <laughs> at, a, at a coffee shop, and I told her about my plans, <laughs> and she just looked at me and she just said, "Honey." <laughs> You are a creative person. You are not a numbers person. Um, Go be a creative person. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, I will take one year. Um, So this was December. I gave myself until September of the following year to earn a certain number per month Mm -hmm. um, from my writing. And if not, I would have started school in September. Okay. Um, And yeah, so what was really cool about it was that prior to this, um, a few people in the romance divas world had really gone all in on indie publishing and had done very well and were sharing everything Mm -hmm. about how they were doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, That was hugely motivating to me and it gave me a lot of information. Um, So I spent uh, December of 2012 reading um, (laughs) the book. Uh, What was it? It's branding not, but it's not just branding it's um self-branding something like that mm. uh for dummies okay <laughs> and um and a, and a couple of other marketing books and so I had this whole template for creating my pen name and mm-hmm. my brand um and I spent the month coming up with the titles for the first series I spent a lot of time looking at what was selling and what wasn't um, in the small town, you know, romance genre. I realized that uh, mail order brides were a huge thing with mm-hmm. like, you know, cowboy romances, um, yep. but they were historical. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want to write historical. So I thought, let's bring it up, you know, into the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had also for a long time <clears throat> been having discussions with my husband about branding and, um, 
and we talked a lot about snakes on a plane. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that movie. Mm-hmm. That was our touchstone for really, really good branding was snakes on a plane because you hear that title. I never watched that movie. That's too scary for me. But right. um, <laughs> you you know exactly what the movie is, right? right? Like you can picture the whole thing. You're sitting there telling yourself an entire story about what that movie has to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, you can think about, you know, whatever. And so you're half sold on the story, like you're half in the story before you even watch the movie. Um, you know, there's going to be a, somebody getting on a plane, you know, that there's right. going to be snakes, you know, there's going to be screaming, and they you know, they're going to have to land the plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I thought that's, that's the title I want, you know. Um, and so I came up uh, finally with the, the Cowboys email order bride. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, you're just going to know what it is. Lonely cowboy email order bride. Right. <laughs> like, like this woman's going to show up. She's not going to fit in. You know, it just the book almost wrote itself. Um, and once I had that going, I felt like it let people know there was going to be some humor. Right. It, mm-hmm. I was not taking myself too seriously. Um, it was going to be fun. And. I felt like I really went into that first book just really knowing um, what I wanted. And, and I was writing a book for me, essentially, mm-hmm. oh, which I think yeah. was really spot on. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the first one. I started in January, wrote the first one, um, started writing the second one within a month or two, you know, like going back and forth, finishing the first one, starting the second one. Meanwhile, I'm learning how do you make a website? How do you get covers, you know, made? All this yes, kind of stuff. All stuff, yeah. Um, and I was, you know, chatting constantly with other authors, <clears throat> so that was exciting. Every day was something brand new. Um, I couldn't get enough of it, and so I put my first book out in April of 2013, and. So exciting, right? Like mm-hmm. the first couple of days, it was like I had 10 sales and I had eight sales and I had four and then I had 15 and it was like, oh my gosh, people are buying the book. Right. And then one morning I woke up and I had 400 sales overnight and I was just like, what, what happened? happened? <laughs> and I went online. I'm like, oh my God, something happened. I don't know what it was. Um, and you know, course, that still Amazon. happens. Actually, I woke up this morning with 120 sales of some book and I thought, what happened? Oh, wow. Crazy. And it's an old book yeah. and I never understand. I mean, I know somebody yeah. mentioned it somewhere, but I'm always yes. like, I, even when I Google, I can't find out where. But, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. In this case, Amazon had definitely given it a push, right? right? And that's part of my journey. It was absolute right time, right place, right skill set. Um, yeah. You know, there was so there were so relatively few books out for people to buy mm-hmm. that every book got so much more eyeballs on it essentially yeah Yeah. um and it it took off it it sold nicely Mm -hmm. and so right from the first month I actually hit my money goal Mm -hmm. which was quite low you know (laughs) but it was it was uh, uh, it was money we needed right um and it just kind of kept going I put my second one out a couple months later or maybe a month later like it was it was nice um Mm -hmm. but then three months went by and I didn't have a new book I was panicking. Um, but I did put another, I think I put two more out that fall and wrapped around into the next year with another one. And then somewhere in 2014, I want to say maybe February of 2014, maybe March, um, I got my first book bub feature deal. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And I owe another author big time because when I said that I landed a, a, a feature, she said, why aren't you wide? Oh, okay. <laughs> And I said, because it feels hard. Mm-hmm. And she walked me through getting my book on all the different vendors and setting up all those accounts. Mm-hmm. And then the day, um, yeah, I, I don't have these numbers at the tip of my tongue anymore, mm-hmm. but my, my feature deal happened. And that day, I want to say the first day, well over, well over 60,000 people downloaded book one. Mm -hmm. And I think within the first, you know, day or two, it was well over, it was like 120, 150,000 people downloaded that book. Mm -hmm. Um, By the end of the month, I had sold over $90,000 worth of those books. Yeah. So that, Um, yeah. (laughs) my life changed overnight. Mm -hmm. So every day I came, you know, downstairs from my attic office Mm -hmm. and reported my numbers to my (laughs) husband. And we just sat there and like stared at each other and Mm -hmm. laughed in disbelief because it was just insane. Mm -hmm. Um, It was scary as well as, you know, really, really exciting because Mm -hmm. all of these people were reading my books and that was kind of terrifying too. Um, I knew they weren't perfect, right? Right. (laughs) Um, Those early books, oh my gosh, they weren't even edited. Like I didn't, I didn't use a professional editor back in those days. Um, So yeah, you know, all kinds of mistakes and Mm -hmm. stuff. People would say mean things. (laughs) 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 And uh, yeah, it was, it was a trip. And, you know, of course that died way back down or, or whatever, but it was really off to the races after that point. And, um, and it was really like, okay, um, I need to work fast now mm-hmm. because somebody else will catch the wave, you know, right. next. Um, mm-hmm. I got to ride this wave as, as hard as I can. And so I started really putting out the books um, and really working you know, I was already working hard, but now I was working really hard um, and really trying to meet the moment. Um, and yeah, I got into military books because we one day we were just having this conversation about who else could get an email order bride, right? Um, right. And we were coming up with all kinds of things. <laughs> it's like the plumber's email order bride, you know? <laughs> it didn't have quite the same ring to it as the... Um, uh, uh, who was it? It was the Navy SEAL who got right. it first. Um, and yeah, you know, the Navy SEALs kind of took it to an even different level. Um, mm-hmm. That was so popular at that point. And I was really writing stories that resonated with me quite strongly. It was about people who were, you know, coming home from the military or just getting started in life. People who had, you know, maybe their parents had died and they just inherited the ranch or, right. you know, whatever, but it was definitely people who were just getting going. Mm-hmm. And I felt very much like I understood that. I understood how hard it could be to right. get going mm-hmm. with your life um, because I had struggled. Um, and so, and the, and the people, um, yeah, I, I feel like I had a lot of angst in my stories. I was feeling a lot of angst, you know, I could really kind of channel that, um, and, and that uh, worked. And I really, um, I felt like when I got to my Brides series, I felt like I really hit my stride. Um, that's, uh, 
that's one of my favorite series um, that I've written. Uh, you know, I have obviously, I've liked all my books, but right. <laughs> that was one. We like them all equally. Like we love our children all equally. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But that there was something about that, um, that story. And uh, you had actually got me thinking about that uh, the other day. Um, I was, and I was thinking about that that series and realizing that that was a story about um, a family that had been really kind of blasted apart mm -hmm. um, by loss and grief. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody's grief was making them do kind of weird things and, you know, um, things that weren't helping them. They were all making different choices, whether it was to isolate or to go out with the wrong guy or, right. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the whole shtick of the story is that, you know, these, these five young women have, are, um, uh, have become very like separated from and disillusioned from their father after the death of their mother. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's this general and he's, you know, this kind of shadowy figure off in the distance. He never comes home, um, but he, he keeps trying to rule the roost, but he never comes home. And so they feel like he's, you know, abdicated from a position where he gets to be responsible because he's not being responsible. Um, and he, you know, he of course is missing his daughters. He loves them loved his wife so much that he just can't go back and see the place where, you know, she was. Mm -hmm. um, and so he starts sending home husbands. <laughs> and the idea <laughs> is that he's sending home these military men um, and he wants them to get the lay of the land, right? He wants them to, he's kind of like sending them into enemy territory to recapture it mm -hmm. by recapturing his daughters. And it's just such a crazy, you know, setup for the books, but it's a really good one too, because all of the men he sends home are men who've gotten in trouble with mm -hmm. the military, but only in ways, um, you know, they didn't mean to, right? Like they right. weren't bad guys. They were right. good guys who got into bad situations. And so they too, you know, it's, so it's about everybody is needing to get back to a better place and to stitch it back together and to stitch this family back together. Um, and it's also this a series that's very concerned with like the landscape itself. Um, the the ranch itself is as much a living character as anything else, mm -hmm. and that was important to me to write because that's how I live. My landscape is really really important to me, but I keep getting uprooted mm -hmm. from it. Um, and so I could channel some of that angst, you know, I hadn't lost a mom and I hadn't had a, you know, right. <laughs> a dad who, whatever, but I could really channel the angst of being disconnected from your own, like, property, if that makes sense, from your own, like, surroundings. The, yeah. Yeah. Your surroundings and the, the, like the land beneath your feet, so to speak, mm -hmm. and needing to knit yourself back into that as well. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm not sure we were talking about no. my publishing journey. I kind of got a, a little astray there. No, but, but I do um, have a question that yeah. I'm noticing. So, yeah. well, you know, it's been a long journey and I've met a lot of authors. But what you said um, about the branding and all of that is similar to a few other authors I know who started with the idea of marketing and branding and then the story came next. I'm not saying secondary. I don't know how to explain it, but 
-hmm. you thought more, you thought about how the how of selling or the how of marketing simultaneous with the writing. Um, And I think that's profoundly interesting to me. The other people I know who've done it were in marketing before. So they left, you know, I mean, you know, so many people, but they left marketing Mm -hmm. at XYZ Fortune 500 um, before coming to romance. And so they had that background or but what made you think about them simultaneously? Because when I was, well, no, I was published. I think I didn't, my first self-published book may have been 2014. I, I have to think about that. Um, okay. And I was thinking more about the writing and, and, and getting a better cover, not going to lie, um, than the marketing that was sort of secondary. And maybe because I left it to publishers before. Not well, not, 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 not with a good result, but they were not simultaneously for me the marketing came later after 2015 2016 when putting out a book did not automatically sell it i was like oh my god now what (laughs) right yeah well you know i think it was because of the yeah the way i got into romance because like i said um so that my my dream writing career Mm -hmm. had been young adult um you know, kind of like the ones that are set in the world, but there is like a little extra stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this story that I loved and I wrote it and I just, oh, I just couldn't quite get it. And and really, you know, the problem, the problem at the end, I think it was actually a fantastic story. And I think if I was a, a different author, um, it might've actually been a hit, mm-hmm. <laughs> but my problem with it was I set up this, it was kind of, you know, a fantasy thing, but um I set up a thing where I realized it was going to get into a war scenario, right? Mm -hmm. As many do. Right. And I didn't really want to write war, Mm. but there was no way, there was no other way out of this story Mm -hmm. that I had set up. It was, you know, it was really, um, yeah. And so the first book wasn't selling, you know, people weren't getting it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I obviously wasn't doing a good enough job. And then I couldn't really figure out how the series was even going to end. And, you know, I, I, and I struggled with that for years. Like that was like five, six, seven years on that book and Mm -hmm. that, you know, series. Um, So by the time I came around and was uh, looking at publishing from a different point of view, um, the need to be able to sell was kind of paramount. And so oh, okay. I couldn't just write, I wasn't just going, this is my, my dream book to write. Mm-hmm. It was, it started from the paradigm of, I need to write something that's going to sell, mm-hmm. okay. um, which meant, yeah, I, I had to look at it that way. That's okay. That's yeah. super interesting. So yeah. one of the things that we've talked about in the last, I don't know, a couple of years is, well, you've toyed with, I don't actually know what you decided, um, mm. changing genres, or I feel like we talked about, oh my God, my memory, um, that you were thinking of writing women's fiction. Um, right. And I don't know if you're going to do a new pen name. I don't remember all the details. I apologize for that. But That's what, right. where have you landed with that? The re- one of the reasons I ask is, A, women's fiction is my absolute favorite genre of all time. Um, books I've written that were women's fiction, one sold incredibly well, the rest not so much. Um, and it's, you know, Maggie Martin actually, and I talk about this because it's the one area of indie that is, I don't want to say it's underdeveloped, but women's fiction has a certain way it sells. 
and indie has not yet lent itself to that. You know, the time may come. We talk about it all the time. Whether that time will come is a different conversation. But what it was it or about women's fiction that you were thinking about, and what did you ultimately decide? Yeah, so this has been an interesting <laughs> ongoing thing because I think um, so I kind of went for it, but I kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did was I, I did take a break um, and I wrote a trilogy that was set in California rather than um, one of my you know Western romances. So basically, all of my other books. Um, are written in the same town mm-hmm. in chronological order. So you can literally start with my first book and read all the way through. They aren't all super connected. Like the series definitely features, you know, very different people. Right. There's a little bit of crossover here and there, but it's all the same places. It's all the same town. It's a very, um, uh, you can slide into any of them and they're just going to, you know, fit you like an old glove, right? right. Because yeah. you know what you're getting there. Right. Um and so I wrote a trilogy that was set in California um, in a, uh, a fictional town there. And I was aiming for women's fiction. And I think I missed the mark. Mm-hmm. I think I, it was more contemporary romance. Um, and like when I talked to people at BookBub and stuff, they were they were sort of struggling to figure out what it was. And we finally decided it was contemporary romance, <laughs> not women's fiction. Because, you know, I, I did, I set up a friendship between three women. Um, they each got their happily ever after. Um, I did have a lot of other characters, but there really wasn't that much of a difference between the way I wrote those books and the way I wrote my Chance Creek books. Mm-hmm. Um and I figured out afterwards that I think maybe I don't exactly know what women's fiction is. Like, I don't have a good definition for myself or maybe out of habit, I just did the the same old thing, you know, where uh. I created a world and I started creating other characters who maybe also could have romances and, you know, um, stuff like that. And so really the only difference uh, that came out was just that, it, yeah, it's a more urban mm-hmm. um slightly, you know, more urban place, still a small town actually, but you know, a small coastal town. Right. Um, and, uh, and I toned the heat level way down. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I ever write super steamy, but, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. in my Chance Creek books, there's definitely scenes on the page. And in this one, it was more of a fade to black. Um, and, yeah, in that way, I feel like I, I didn't leap. Like I, I feel like I chickened out, in a way, and so I did get to write about a, a new place <clears throat> and characters that I liked, and I probably will go back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to that town too. Right. Uh, I left a pretty good setup for a um, another series, which would be really fun. That has to do with a castle, <laughs> castle by the beach, um, all kinds of fun there, but. Uh, yeah, I feel like I chickened out because I wasn't sure I could do something that people would want to read if, <clears throat> if the, the romance wasn't pretty central to it. Oh, but this is so interesting because, okay, so I think you're about, about my age or maybe, I think mm-hmm. we're the same age, but I, I don't know if you've noticed 
historically, I'm not going to talk about now, women's fictures, women fiction authors came from two different sort of like, let's call them feeders. There were the ones that wrote like romance, um, category romance or whatever that, whatever that was, who wrote then bigger books where romance was still a feature, probably the genesis of that, the RWA, you know, novel with strong romantic elements. Um, So romance was a feature, but then they also had friends or some other problem they needed to, you know, to surmount. Um, But then there were the other authors who wrote, oh God, I hate this because I call them 80s, I call them the death books, where women either, well, either it was the death of their marriage or literal cancer. Um, Okay. And so there were those two kinds of books that sort of occupied the women's fiction space. I'll call them bigger romantic books. There were 80,000 words where there was a romance, but also a miscarriage. I don't know. Something else happened. And then there were the Mm -hmm. other books where, well, my husband left and now I have to find out who I am or I just beat cancer and now I have to find out who I am or my mother died and now I have to find out who I am. Um, Or, Mm -hmm. and actually those books still, all of those actually still exist. But those were the two sort of, I guess, parallel universes in which women's fiction existed so I don't know if you should discount the romance because they were both, they both co they have both coexisted for 20, 30 years um, in the same category, whether they should be categorized together is a different conversation, but bigger books with women's themes get mushed together <laughs> um, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I guess in my mind, um, what I had set out thinking that I would do was writing something like, you know, all the, the, beach books where they're set on Nantucket or whatever and they're so there's always like three or four storylines um Mm -hmm. intertwined in one story so it's sisters there's three sisters and you're finding out what's happening to each one of them and then there's the mom you know um I think that's what I meant to do (laughs) (laughs) and then it just didn't work um I I think like I said I think I kind of chickened out um but is it the there fear of not selling? Because I remember you talking about, yeah. and and we've all not we well I've changed genres, so, but we've all had this sort of moment where you're like, okay, if I stop writing this, the thing that sells, and I go and write this other thing that is more compelling, whatever the whatever the reason is, or I'm burnt out mm-hmm. from any other thing, will it sustain the same way the romances did? And I so yeah yeah, and I I think. Um, yeah, you know, so my my position is kind of shifting, but back kind of when I started that, um, I yeah, I you know, I still needed an income or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and and I had just heard so many stories about people who wrote one way, and that's what their audience wanted, mm-hmm. and then they went off on some wild goose chase about their oh no, now I'm going to be a literary fiction writer, right. you know, or whatever, yes. and. Uh, <laughs> And their audience was like, no, that's not what we're coming to you for, cool. man. Um, that's uh, not what we want. So I, I I wanted to have the, you know, the humility to go, you know, my audience is after a very specific thing, which mm-hmm. I've been writing. Right. Um, and I don't want to pretend, you know, that I can suddenly write something completely different and they're necessarily going to like that. So there was kind of a point where I was like, well, okay, I, I, I just, I want to write these California books. I want to be, um, you know, somewhere different for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, what are the common elements? And I realized that, yes, even though there's something 
I, I can't even explain why this is true. Maybe it's just proximity to bigger cities. But, you know, there's something about California coastal cities or towns. They're small. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are small, but they're only like 20 minutes away from a major city, you know, so, so they don't feel small. <laughs> yes. Right. And they feel different than like I've lived in a, a tiny town in um, in Pennsylvania that feels completely different than living in a small town on the coast of California. I can see that. Um, so yeah, anyways, I, I wanted to write that, but, but I did realize that, yeah, there, there are still similar elements. You go to the same coffee shop every day. You go to the same restaurant, you see people after a while, you know, their faces, mm-hmm. um, you know, so those kinds of things I could have in both places and make it so that people who had come for these Montana stories might actually enjoy these California stories as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they're different, but they're similar. Um, So as far as really jumping off to something else, I think what I realized, you know, kind of getting into that trilogy was I didn't have the bandwidth for it yet because um, when I started thinking about it and was like, okay, am I writing something so different that I actually need a different pen name? Mm -hmm. The idea of building another website (laughs) and doing another social media, I I was just, it was a Mm non-starter. I did not have the the wherewithal to do that. And I think that's why I kind of toned it down. Um, So I guess... You know, you're going to have to ask me that question again in a few years because I am now at a very different place. Yeah, um, right. So I guess my yeah. last question, I guess for you is what, so what, well, I don't know how to ask this because what I want to ask is what does the future hold and what do you want the future to hold? And those are two different questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So I, um, I kind of realized that you know, I, I had the, I have had this dream career. I don't want to put it in the past, but there was this point of my career where I had this trajectory, which was a dream, Mm -hmm. right? Like it was everybody's dream and it got so big, so fast. And there was so much responsibility and so many moving parts. And I was trying to be a good businesswoman and I developed a team, um, and I started delegating and, you know, I was writing and I was trying to get everybody else to do all the other things. And I realized at some point that it was really no longer fun. Mm-hmm. None of it was. And, uh, you know, other things were happening in the world. Other things were happening with my relatives. And um, it just got to be a bit of a slog, right? And mm-hmm. um, And I felt like, I, yeah, I really, really hit a wall. Um, you know, I just can't, <laughs> can't in no way around that. Right. I, I hit burnout, right? Like all the way, all the way. And I am proud of the fact that I have managed to handle that. I wrote to some extent through that period. Um, and I have never put out a book that I wasn't proud of, um, mm-hmm. which was really important to me. But I did finally realize that I, I had to turn it down, like the the not you know, the level at which I was doing. I needed to go down. Um, <clears throat> and a couple of years ago, um, doing a lot of soul searching, I realized that, you know, giving away all of these different parts of the job actually was part of what made it no longer fun. Like, even though that was also the dream, right, to just be able to write and not to have to worry about all these other things. All the moving um, parts, Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, it actually turned out to be not as good for my creativity as I thought it would be um, because I lost touch with parts of my brand, I guess, um, and, <clears throat> and lost control of it to some extent is what I felt. <clears throat> and so I began to take it back. And so bit by bit, I actually began to dismantle the team that I had set up and dismantle my career in various ways and take it down. And then we, we sort of got to the point as a family um, where, you know, we were okay. You know, I had set very, very, very specific goals of, um, you know, where I had wanted to be at retirement and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, years and years ago. Yeah. And so we, we, we reached the goals. Um, we set things up. And so I spent this last year really dismantling everything down to as bare bones as possible and uh, just finally completed that process. Wow. Um, and I am now basically back to where I started. <laughs> this is so interesting I, because you were one of the people who you, I don't know if you remember talking, talking about management delegation hiring. Um, you talked a lot mm -hmm. about setting up those structures. I remember that. I did. And I, it was the right thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, from a business sense, that was the correct thing to do. And I know other people who have done it and have really, you know, done well for themselves through that. Um, but it was too much. And I, you know, and actually one of the things that um, I, I found out about myself was that strategizing is something that I love to do. And so I had actually like even given away the strategizing mm -hmm. um, part to other people who, you know, were doing their very best to do a very good job at it. But that was where the spark came from. Uh, right. <laughs> like I strategize books and then I strategize, you know, how to, how to, you know, put them basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyways, yeah, long story short. I have. I have dismantled my career. This is like the weirdest thing I think probably anybody <laughs> has ever done. But I have just piece by piece taken it apart again. I am now an author who is just writing and handling everything. Um, it is all going much more slowly than I'm sure, you know, some of my readers would like. Mm -hmm. um, but it is taking me back to my roots and it is bringing me back to my creativity. And I think um, so I I announced, you know, to everybody, not, not readers, but everybody in my life and my sphere, um, you know, that I have, uh, retired, but what retire me means is I have retired from being this career persona. Mm -hmm. I am calling my writing a hobby in the sense that I am doing it when I can. And as I can, I am doing it on my own. I don't have any um, expectations of it anymore. Wow. And so, yeah, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like because I'm going to really try to be led by what I want to do rather than what I feel like is the next best thing for this business to do. Um, and I'm, I am hoping that I can get back to where I felt like in 2012, mm -hmm. you know, eventually. Um, so I'm probably just going to take a, a little break uh, for a month or two and just kind of, you know, live <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> right. And then um, I'm going to continue with, a, you know, series that I've got open in, in the Chance Creek world. Um, but I am going to allow myself to play with anything that comes along and 
Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Wow. I don't know. No, it's, it's a, crazy. No, it's an amazing journey. It's an amazing choice to make because I feel as if we're coming up on the 10-year mark for a lot of us. Yes. I mean, whatever. Yep. And at least the people in my sphere that I know. And that it's a, it's a reckoning of sorts. And how we're all dealing with the reckoning is it's a whole, I mean, I have a lot of these conversations very often, but we're all mm-hmm. dealing with a certain reckoning and making decisions about how to go fo- go forward. I think about it all the time, actually. Um, it's like, well, if I write three more books, would that be enough for life? And then can I do something else? Or would I want to do something else? Or do I need it to sustain me? Or can it be a hobby? I mean, all of those questions that you mm-hmm. encountered, I think people, um, especially after writing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 books, are really yeah. grappling with um, as we come upon a lot of years of working very hard. Yes, very much so. And I think, you know, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what everybody does. Um, I know that it will bother me if I ever leave, you know, a series open, Mm -hmm. you know, so to speak. Um, So I imagine that will just push me through. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are, you know, I have other reasons to, you know, want to just kind of keep that going. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's actually fun to just be the only one that's mucking around in my business, <laughs> you know, honestly. And like, I like just feeling back in control of all of the pieces. And in fact, I'm probably going to fool around with, um, you know, teaching myself to do uh, better, like, artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my, my first book that I put out was... Um, I made the cover, right? And mm-hmm. like before too many months went along, I, I went ahead and got somebody professional to do it because right. it was awful. <laughs> it was really awful. Um, but I know more now or whatever. And I was like, you know, that would be the most freeing thing in the world was yes. to think mm-hmm. that I could come up with a, a story and then I could come up with the exact cover that mm-hmm. I wanted. That would be really fun. Uh, so we'll see. Because I'm also pretty particular, so if I can't produce something that looks pretty decent, I won't put it out. But yeah, no, that's yeah. so interesting. I will admit that I did three covers recently because I sat down and I looked at like how long it was going to take the cover designer and how whatever she needed and the cost. And I think mm-hmm. I texted Marina and I was like, I think I'm going to save myself a few thousand dollars this morning. And. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> And I did them. I'm not saying they're perfect, and I'm certainly not going to link them here because um, it's a different pen name. <laughs> but okay. they, they, they've they sold surprisingly well with the new covers. And I yeah. was like, oh, okay. And they're not great. Like, I st- the pink was a mistake. I'm, sure but, <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, okay. And it is something I agree with you. It's something I want to learn. I just haven't gotten to it because design seems hard to me. But yeah, the I, elements I, of design. I'm not <laughs> – yeah, I and I do not want to like make it seem like oh I can in a weekend I can learn. No, <laughs> spent their entire adult lives, um, but it is it is a part of the creative process that I I don't get to play with, mm-hmm. and it makes me sad <laughs> because I always have an exact vision of what I want a cover to look like. Um, it is very very difficult to get somebody else to read your mind, you know, and yes, see and what you're seeing internally. Vision. Yes, trust me. Right? Um, yeah, I feel like so. I, I think yeah, some conversations with both um, Theodora and uh, Rachel Grant because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know they like to fiddle around with their own covers, um, oh, okay. but quite successfully often. Um, but I, 
I really want to thank you for talking. I really appreciate it. seems as if your journey in this writing, publishing, indie career has come full circle. Um, yeah, it and that, really does feel that way. <laughs> um, and that's an amazing place to be. Um, so congratulations for that. And I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you have, I don't want to say face the demons, but basically you've faced some of the hurdles and have figured out how to clear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I want to thank you so much. I know I went over my time. I really apologize, oh, but I want to thank you so much for, <laughs> I told you, um, for, uh, you asked the first question and I was like, oh, we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> But I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and talking a lot about some of the difficulties, to be honest, of writing, because it's not, I know to some people, at least I've heard it looks glamorous. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, we're in our head all day, you know, arguing with ourselves um, about how it's going. But I want to thank you for your honesty and sharing some of those. And I wish you great luck in the future because you're a great writer and you're great at business. And I only see good things going forward. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. All right. Thank you so much, Corsi. This has been a time to thrill with your host, Amy Austin. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It will help others to find and enjoy my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I am also the author of the Nicole Long series of legal thrillers. The first two books in the Nicole Long series are now live. You can download Outcry Witness and Major Crimes to your e-reader right now. I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. These titles are available where other books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can also follow me on Instagram at ThrillerPod. You can find me on Facebook at Legal Thriller Author or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon with more great conversations.